Hello everyone, it's Crystal, your spooktacular hostess. Today's episode is all about the Hart family and the horrific and tragic life of the poor children and how the family was not what they claimed to be. From social media posts to the actual incidents beforehand, today we talk about the tragic life and death of the Hart family. But before we begin, we have a quick word from our sponsors. So you might be asking who the Hart family is. So the Hart family consists of two mothers, Jennifer and Sarah, who both were 38 at the time of their death, and six children, Marquise, 19, Jeremiah, 14, Abigail, also 14, Sierra, 12, Devante, 15, and Hannah, 16. The Harts also had another adoptive child who goes by the nickname of Lee. She, however, did not have the same fate as her later adopted siblings. Now, this case is wild with accusations, but a lot of it was found true. And the worst part about it is this family was literally, quote, picture perfect. They were basically in that family that you had seen on Facebook and Instagram, just being this happy, full of life family. There was Facebook posts that they marked, you know, anniversaries of adoption of the children. Everyone that, well, I can't say everyone. There were a lot of people that said that these women saw the best in everyone. They were so kind, so sweet. Now, I will say this much. Most of their Facebook shows pictures of them with the kids smiling, arms around each other, and, you know, traveling. The Hart family traveled cross-country between music festivals to hear their favorite bands. They took frequent hikes and were actually their one son was uh, photographed hugging a police officer, and that was Devante Hart. Now, they went to political rallies Uh, They were at the 2016 Bernie Sanders rally in Vancouver, Washington, and they showed up wearing matching t-shirts bearing the senator's likeness, which basically was just his hair, his glasses, and eyebrows. Um, Devante, again, he actually made national spotlight when the photo of the 2014 protest in Portland, Oregon, went viral. It was Devante hugging a white police officer while Devante cried. Now, he was photographed embracing the officer a day after a grand jury decided not to charge Ferguson officer Darren Wilson in the shooting death of 18-year-old Michael Brown, a controversial decision that truly had emotions just running wild. But that picture has been seen multiple times. It's It was viral. But however perfect that they looked online, child welfare had been called and reported on this family numerous times, starting in 2010. Now, they weren't living in Washington back then. No, they were living in Minnesota. Abuse allegations and issues with food were the top ones that were a problem for them while they were in Minnesota. In 2010, there is a case that was made to child welfare stating that one of the children, Abigail Hart, was physically abused, leaving bruises all over her body. 
supposedly this issue resulted over a penny because Abigail was being accused of lying about how she got the penny that was found in her pocket. During questioning, Sarah had admitted to letting her anger, quote, get out of control and she spanked her daughter before her, the day before. According to the Oregonian, it was Jennifer whom Abigail said had hit her, not Sarah. Sarah admitted to police officers after, while she was being questioned to taking her daughter into the bathroom and bending her over the edge of the bathtub and hitting her on the backside. Now, originally, According to court records, Sarah was charged with domestic assault and malicious punishment. However, Sarah agreed to plead guilty to the domestic assault charge and the malicious punishment charge was dropped. In April of 2011, Sarah was sentenced to 90 days in jail, which was stayed, and one year of supervised probation. Now, in 2018, when Abigail's body was later found, police reported that she was covered with bruises indicating past abuse. Now, this whole thing to take care of Sarah's issue, the couple agreed to do in-home therapy, counseling, and learning skill building activities as a remedy instead of abuse. Now, the Minnesota Child Welfare received six reports regarding abuse or neglect, where only two were deemed founded. In 2013, there was a report that the children seemed malnourished. Now, this was over time, but in May of 2011, Hannah had told a school nurse that she had not eaten. When they all were confronted about it, Jen became extremely angry and shoved a banana and nuts into Hannah's mouth. When Sarah was confronted about this, she argued that Hannah was, quote, playing the food card and should only be given water. A caseworker later reported that the school stopped calling the hearts due to fear that the children would be punished. Sadly, the children were pulled out of school and started being homeschooled after that. Shortly after, they moved. A welfare worker stated that the problem with the hearts was according to all documents they, quote, looked normal. An old neighbor of their 71-year-old Lorraine Faley did a phone interview with the New York Times. She described the mothers as real friendly girls. She said she didn't know the kids very well because they, quote, weren't allowed outside very often, and that when they were allowed outside, they were very highly disciplined. They came down the stairs in a single file line. They walked outside in a single file line as well. Lorraine was bothered by their behavior, adding, it wasn't like normal kids. In 2013, the couple moved to Oregon. After being made aware of the allegations against the Hart's child welfare and police started their own investigation. After they interviewed every one of the members, they found Jennifer to be the more domineering of the two and Sarah to be the more, I guess, submissive, you would say. The couple traveled to music festivals several weeks out of the year and Sarah was a retail manager at Kohl's. They had also found that they were receiving about two grand a month in adoption assistance. Now, again, this family had hit milestones when it came to moving when things went south for them. Police interviewed two other women who knew the Hearts, and they had a very disturbing view of the Hearts' home life. The two unidentified women told investigators that the children had to raise their hands before speaking in the home. 
They would get in trouble for laughing at the dinner table. And that at one point they were not allowed to tell Marcus happy birthday on his birthday. They also detailed a night where Jennifer had ordered pizza for the kids and would only allow them to have one small piece. But the next day the pizza had been completely eaten. Whereas Jennifer then became irate and said the children would not be eating breakfast because no one admitted to eating the pizza. She then forced all the children to lay in bed for roughly five hours as punishment. Sadly, during this time, child welfare couldn't determine the women guilty of neglect and said there was no safety threat. That was most I could find while they were in Oregon. Later, the Hart family moved to the state of Washington by 2017. On March 23rd, 2018, there was a call to the Department of Social and Health Services. The woman who called had said that Hannah had jumped out of the second story window at 1.30 in the morning and ran to this woman's home and asked to be hidden. Hannah told the woman's husband that they were being whipped with belts and the hearts were racist and begged them not to force her to return. Later, Devante would start coming to their house two to three times asking for food and begging that the woman not tell his mothers about his requests. He explained that they were punished by having meals taken away from them. He also claimed the hearts were keeping the kids hidden from others and that they were sometimes abused. Now, this put up red lights for this neighbor of theirs who had also stated that the um, the kids, I guess the best way that it was described is that the kids were skin and bones from what I was reading. This red flag kind of sent a big hand rave to uh, most of them, but the incident with Hannah was part of summer of 2017. She also had apparently asked the husband to take her to Seattle because the family wasn't being treated right, begging to not make her go back. Now, the husband recalled that she appeared to be missing two front teeth and looked much younger than she actually was. The wife of the neighbor called the police and made the report after almost putting up with it for nearly several months of feeding these kids, dealing with these kids' pleas for help. So after the call was made on March 23rd, an investigator was and social worker were sent to the home leaving a business card. It was stated that the investigator saw a large brown SUV turn into their driveway, but there was no answer when they knocked on the door. They tried again on this 26th with no luck, as well as March 27th. Now, before I get into the horrors of what happened the day of the last attempt, I also want to touch on the story that Lee herself had given to the Seattle Times. Now, she said things that were a little bit different, but also the same. So Lee was with Jennifer and Sarah from the summer of 2004 to the spring of 2005. Both of the Hart women were in their mid-20s at the time. Lee recalled Sarah being more of the quiet one, while Jennifer was definitely the more outgoing one. They were active, going to places, and she said that they were happy during her first six months with them. Lee and a former co-worker of the Hart's, Jody Smith, 
recall a makeover that the Hearts did on Lee at the store where they worked. Jody said the women, the women just stood there with their arms crossed despite looking unhappy. Well, Lee looking unhappy about it. Lee described herself as a tomboy who didn't wear makeup. Jody had recalled the couple take, talking about problems with Lee stating she ate out of the trash. Lee claims that that wasn't true and was hurt by the allegations that were made. She said she was never depraved of food or hit like the children who came after her had been. She was, however, surprised that Sarah was the one charged with the assault, since it was Jen who was always the moody one. Jen and Lee would fight frequently over petty things. She recalled one thing was during a family day at Lambeau Field, where they took footballs to get signed by Atman Green after the game. When they approached him to sign the balls, he had picked Lee's ball to sign and not Jen's. Jennifer was the bigger fan. This in turn caused a huge issue with Jen and she ignored Lee for days. Lee stated that she wasn't allowed out of the house to visit friends, only to go to work and to school. If she wasn't out doing family activities with the hearts, she was kept inside. She assumed they were just being protective because of her past and the fact that they were young themselves and maybe weren't ready to foster a teenager. Now, according to Lee, the hearts loved kids. Even though the state of Texas DFPS placed children with out-of-state families and offered subsidiaries between $400 to $545 a month per child was not about the money. Jennifer was the one who wanted the children the most, whereas Sarah was supportive. They were talking to Lee about fostering her until she was 18, which is something they supposedly wanted. Lee was looking forward to having siblings and being a big sister. They were prepping for her to become a big sister, telling her she needed to be a good influence on the younger kids. The Hearts then went to Texas for a week to meet the first set of siblings that they were going to adopt. Lee stayed with another family while the Hearts were away, but when they got back, they got her and showed her pictures of the children who were to be her siblings. But the week before the siblings were due to arrive, Jennifer and Sarah Hart did the unspeakable thing. They dropped Lee off at her therapist, where the therapist told Lee that the Hearts were not coming back for her and that she would be placed in a, with a new family immediately. She remembered being told that it wasn't her fault, but the Hearts were just not a good fit for her. A new family had picked her up from the office, and when she arrived at their house, all of her stuff that was at the Hart's house was already there. Lee ended up with a loving pastor and wife who taught her forgiveness, and they stay in her life to this day, where they are now grandparents to her child. She wants to believe that the Hart's are still good people, but hopes that it wasn't done intentionally. Now, again, that is the article that uh, Lee had wrote well, done with the Seattle Times. Um, and honestly, I it, it's heartbreaking to know that they kind of just gave her up and they didn't even have the heart to tell her that, hey, you know, we're not, we don't want a teenager. And it really, really sucks. But here's where things became hell for the Hart family. On March 26th, Around 3 a.m., Jennifer Hart sped off a cliff in California. Her blood alcohol level was well above the legal limit at the time, and it is presumed that she went about 90 miles per hour off the side of the cliff 
and that it was a homicide slash suicide. Now, a camper near the crash site recalled hearing an engine revving, tires crunching on the gravel below as it sped off and cries for help during the dark evening. Investigators noted that there was no brake marks anywhere near where the vehicle had sped off. A German tourist later found the shocking scene on Highway 1 in Mendocino, eh, Mendocino <laughs> County in California, 200 miles north of San Francisco. The tourist noticed the GMC Yukon was crashed upside down on the rocks below. Rescue workers were able to find Jennifer and Sarah's bodies discovered in the car. Jeremiah, Abigail, and Marcus, their bodies were all found near nearby deceased, whereas Devante, Hannah, and Sierra were missing from the car. Sierra's remains were found later, and all that was left of Hannah was the skeletal remains of her foot inside one of her shoes that washed up on a California beach. To this day, Devante's remains have still yet to be recovered, although he has been declared legally dead. As it turned out, Jennifer was driving drunk with Sarah in the passenger seat with high levels of Benadryl in her system. It was a likely explanation that the children were either unconscious or asleep after being given many doses of Benadryl as well. Now, them being unconscious or asleep kind of contradicts the fact that a camper said that they heard cries for help. So my brain's thinking that maybe the children weren't fully asleep and that they were just unconscious or fading into unconscious when Jennifer peeled wheels off that cliff. Now, that is what kind of kills me the most about this is Jennifer was by most the most uh, aware. And I say aware because when you're drunk, you're aware, but you're not aware. But you're way more aware than, you know, the passenger who's drugged out on Benadryl. So that's really what gets me. Now, the Hart family's tragic ending was one that could have been avoided. The children could have been saved, but sadly, everything happened too late. According to um, Sheriff Allman, he said that oversights in the system and Jennifer and Sarah are to blame for the tragic deaths. He said he would like to see a national database of children of child abuse and neglect reports to prevent something like this from ever happening again. Basically, these kids could have been saved if something had marked them, especially with uh, Sarah having a abuse charges against her like that should have popped up in the system and it should have notified the adoption agency that like hey this is what happened but sadly it didn't see i'm also thinking that i don't know maybe a fear of getting caught drove jennifer to just and and i guess sarah too if i really want to think about it it drove them to kind of like pit run away because it's honestly it seemed like that's what they were doing like they were running away from washington state because they knew you know the law was on their tails yet again and that you know this time they may not have been able to get out of it or you know maybe sarah wasn't the one calling the shots seeing you know she had the same drugs in her system as the children did so who's to say jennifer didn't dose her first and then 
you know, dose the kids. And my biggest thing is Devante's body has not been found. Like, and I'm hoping, and I know some people will call me childish to believe this, but I really hope that maybe he ran away. Maybe he was able to get far enough away from them. And that's what spoke them to run. That maybe that he escaped and he's still alive somewhere, but instead of coming forward to relive a nightmare and be questioned and under media scrutiny, that maybe he's just changed his name, figured out a way, got it, went to a family who just helped him. You know, I'm, and again, I know people are like, oh, you're childish to think that he didn't die in that car too. But I would hope that he, you know, since they didn't find his remains that, you know, just maybe, but again, I know it's just a hope, but what's really sad is that no one knew anything aside from what those Facebook posts showed. Facebook showed a happy life that these women were giving these children and no one was the wiser to question it unless they were invited in, which did not seem like many were. Maybe the, their friends who were shocked by the news were the ones that only knew them outside of the home. And that the very few that had come forward, you know, after the deaths saying that they, that they seen a change in the women and saying that they were showing signs of being abusive parents. Maybe they could have stepped up if they saw those signs and said something, made reports Maybe more reports from more different people would have gotten the kids out of there. And it's always like a maybe at this point or a what if. And you always wonder, you know, do people around, do they see the signs and just say, not my business? Do they turn a blind eye? You know, it's one thing, you know, if your kid does something and you kind of yell at them a little bit, but not yell at them, but I mean, like, give them a stern talking to, but to put bruises on your children because of a penny not feed your children or tell them that they can't have food and they have to stay in their beds for hours because a pizza was eaten you know who's to say that they jennifer or sarah didn't eat the damn pizza you know what they do put a lock on the fridge after that i hate to say it like reading into this it wouldn't put it past me if there was a lock on their damn fridge and freezer like, it really wouldn't, and I hate to say it that way, but sadly, no one will ever know what happened behind closed doors to those kids. Are we all perfect? No. Were they perfect? No. Do we know the whole story of everything? Certainly not. And I hate to say it, we probably never will. I think the only way we'll ever get the... Uh, Truth is if by some miracle Devante is still alive and comes forward and says, no, this is what happened. But I don't know what could cause a mom to snap and hurt her children. I, and I think I say this pretty much with every child death case that I've done regarding a mother killing her children. I don't understand how you could kill something that loves you, that unconditionally relies on you, and that will always be a part of you, 
Like, I love my children to death and the thought of something happening to them tears me apart inside. Like, I couldn't imagine, you know, what you have, what kind of person you have to be to really hate your kids like that. And it's sad. And it's even more sad that these poor children thought that they were going to a happy home where they were going to be taken care of just to find out that no, they, they weren't. But I will say the children were all siblings. I think it was two sets of siblings that were together. So at least un instead of being split apart, they were with each other at the end. And I hate to say it like that. It's the most saddest thing on the planet. And it really is gut-wrenching. And this is also why it took me a while to get the nerve to do this case. Because I don't know if you guys have picked it out. But when it comes to cases that I do with children, just like the doomsday couple, I kind of break a little bit and I lose a little piece of myself doing these because stuff that happens to kids is so sad and I can't, I don't like to think about it at all. But anyways, that is it for me. I am going to leave you guys with this wonderful, uh, food for thought, which is, do you think Devante could still be alive? Or do you think that Jennifer drugged everyone and did it by herself? Or do you think Sarah had a play in the murder of not just, you know, herself, but also the children who relied on her? You guys have a great day, evening, morning, wherever, wherever and whenever. I hope you have a spooktacular day. And as always, stay spooky.